0: Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast and I'm very grateful to Lindsay Kaplan who's coming to me all the way out from the west coast of of America um, up very early for me on a Monday morning. Um, Lindsay uh, runs her own business, The Gathering Effect, and she is well, a very interesting background. I'll get you to explain a little bit in the background. You are a, you know, an organisational psychologist, so we share that, but you are a script writer. Is that correct before? And so what we're going to talk about today, as your business name says, suggests, the gathering effect, is really how um, if we are having gatherings, and I thought this is particularly per- pertinent as we're starting to open up, hopefully, and see each other more face to face, how we make sure that they have maximum impact. So I think that's what you're about is to help us make sure that the, when we do go, go to all that effort of getting together, make sure that we get value out of them. So Lindsay, over to you, do you want to
1: introduce a little bit about your background and, and what you do? Sure, Lucinda, and thanks for having me, uh, nice to see you. I, my name is Lindsay and I'm a, a screenwriter turned organizational psychologist. And what I do is I help companies script their change efforts for the effect that they want. So, yes, my, my, my master's degree is in organizational psychology, but a long time ago, I started my career in Hollywood as a comedy writer. I was interested in developing characters on a page and realized I wanted to develop people in real life and then develop organizations. But I used some of those very same observation and empathy and sort of storytelling skills to help people script how they bring change to people so that it sticks. And as we'll talk about, gathering is one of the main tools that people use in order to introduce change and bring change to their organization.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? So we, we sometimes we feel like we get together just for the sake of it, but actually people have got very used to having quite um, being quite time efficient. And maybe um, they're not going to want to necessarily just have time together once novelty wears off unless you know we can see this great purpose in it so how how do we or is there a planning is there a sort of structure that we need to go through if we want to maximize the value from these gatherings
1: Sure, and as you said, I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that we now have a higher bar for gathering. We want to gather, but we want it to be worth our time, whether it's in person or virtual. So let me just back up for a moment and give us the definition. So I define gathering as matching a message with a moment to create an effect. So less of a dinner party or a social and more I'm bringing a piece of content to someone to produce an effect or a change in them. So in our organizations, it looks like all hands, town halls, conferences, webinars, workshops, off sites, etc. And I found that this is the most common tool we use for change in companies but it actually, like a hammer, can produce many different effects, right, with one tool. And so there's four effects that we can create, and part of what I help organizations do from the start is to find that effect that they want. And so there's four effects, and we'll we'll just go through them quickly. The first is to help people comply, so to take an action. The second is to inform, so to help information be internalized. The third is to entertain, so to bring about a sense of delight, And the fourth is to engage. And that's to generate new thinking, buy-in, ownership, potentially some behavior change. And oftentimes I find the first piece of coaching I give people is to clearly define the effect that you want because that determines how you should create the gathering.
0: And I guess you sometimes are going to have multiple. I'm just thinking, so we just had a a meeting, first face-to-face meeting for ages this morning. And I think probably it was about informing and engaging so, you know, wanting to share some information, but also get people to, um, you know, to contribute and feel engaged. Is that what you mean by that? Or is that a different, am I interpreting it differently?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I think it's tempting to want to have more than one effect. And as I tell people, it's also tempting to go to a buffet and want all of the food, but really I think you can only stomach a little bit of it. And same thing for our employees. If we're not clear on the effect that we want and what we need from our employees, they won't be clear either. And so, so much of this work is enhancing clarity for people and how we communicate. So for example, if you want to inform and engage, it's potentially that you really just want to engage. But if you're doing a meeting or a town hall where there's separate effects, I say separate those effects into different components of your meeting. So be clear, this is the informing section and this is the engaging section, just so it's not muddled for folks. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And you're talking um, about, I guess, change is one thing, but is it mainly change? Are there other purposes where you'd be thinking about how that how that message is going to be? Because I can see sometimes with um, change in particular, that is Again, quite a lot of informing. Quite often, telling people the reasons for it, what how it's going to how it's going to impact them.
1: Um, well, to me, every gathering is is a change effort. Uh, gathering to me is a symptom of how we bring change people in our bring change to people in our organization. It's really a a skill of effective change management. And because it's the tool that we rely on most, it's the tool that I help people understand first. And if we understand how to gather well, then we can also understand how to to bring change to people. And so I found in my research over the last 15 years that the same characteristics that make a gathering stick also make change stick. And so that's why to me those are synonymous.
0: I think that's actually quite a helpful insight, actually, thinking if we are going to get people together, what is the purpose of it? So what is the change, even if it's a short term, it's not going to be a massive change, but what are they going to do differently in this month um, than, than otherwise? So I think that's quite a, a nice way of, of doing it. So you're saying certain things help them to stick. Do you want to tell us a little bit
1: about what what works then? Sure, so the first step is to define the effect. And once we've got that, um, then we'll understand how to, how to craft the gathering or how to script the gathering or the change effort. And to me, this is all a communication skill at the end of the day. But if you think about all the gatherings that we've been a part of, they tend to fall on a spectrum. And I'll, I'll explain my model briefly to, to your listeners. So there's two spectrums. On one spectrum is push and pull. So is the gathering being done at me, push, or is it being done with me? pull? How active or how passive am I, the employee, in the experience? And then on the other spectrum, there's one size fits all and personalized. One size fits all, it's made for everyone. Personalized, it's made for me. So if I'm riding the ride at Disneyland, is it the same ride no matter who's in line, or is it personalized for me um, uh, in that one experience? So once I understand those spectrums, then I can sort of plot my gathering along those to understand the effect it's currently having on our employees, what we need to do differently. And oftentimes I've found that um, people think that their gathering is pull and personalized which is what leads to engagement but really it's being received as push and one size fits all which leads to compliance and so the, the key coaching i give people whether it's hr leaders or business leaders is how to adjust their gathering along those spectrums to get the different effect that they want
0: and that's you see as soon as you explained those i thought yeah well obviously everyone wants pull and personalize <laughs> right so um what what's how would you how would you how do you help leaders to realise when they think that they're doing it full and personalised? What would be a sort of if I was um, reflecting on something I've done and I think, oh, yes, it was. Yeah, I was open and listening and things. Um, how would I recognise that actually it was much more push and passive or one side fits all?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Let me just take one step back. I think you said, well, everyone wants pull and personalize. I think that that may be true, but oftentimes that can lead to change fatigue in our companies because not every change effort needs engagement. So, for example, if I'm rolling out a new performance management system or a new HRIS, I don't really need people to have buy-in and ownership. I just need them to comply and Let's to put their it. information in a system, right? So yeah. that's why defining the effect is so important so that we can save save the gathering effort, save um, save the the time and resources and energy for the, the change efforts that really require engagement. So just wanted to clarify. Oh, that
0: actually, right. that's a very valid point. We always feel like we've got to engage on everything and then it takes forever, doesn't it, to achieve anything as well if it's everything done by committee. Sometimes when we exactly. work with organisations and everyone's making a it on well, some Actually, some of these are no-brainer dis- choices. Let's just simplify it. Um, but do you yeah. that, that the argument back, I suppose, would be that people will resist that change potentially if they think it's being
1: dictated to them? Do you, yeah. how can you get around that? You know, we know as effective change leaders that um, ownership leads to commitment, involvement leads towards commitment, which is one of the tenets of a pull and personalized gathering. But again, not every change requires that sort of engaged level. You know, I found, again, through my work with clients that oftentimes employees just want to be told what to do. They just really want that clarity. And sometimes that compliance or informing is truly enough. And if we leave it too, too sort of open and opaque, people don't know what's expected of them and then they might get even more frustrated. Yeah. So um, I think that's, that's an interesting point, but also the culture that we're in may dictate what's possible. So for example, I worked with a company recently who wanted to launch their new values and though they really wanted engagement, the culture itself could really only handle compliance because that was where the culture was at. So, you know, yes, we want engagement there, but there are certain forces that keep us from getting there. And sometimes just taking one step forward is enough. Your question around if we are if we are receiving or getting pushed and one size fits all, how do we know that how do we know that it's not it's not engaging? Yeah. So one mistake I often see is that people confuse reaction with results. So if we are you know finishing a gathering and we see people are clapping or they say that was great. Um, it doesn't mean too much because those smile sheets actually don't tell us if anything's going to be different afterwards. They just tell us sort of the initial reaction. Yeah, (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, So one thing I looked, uh, I have people look for is how active or how passive are people in the experience? So If if folks are not participating, if they're not engaging, um, if they're falling asleep, if they're not contributing in the chat, they don't have questions, they don't have follow-up. I think that's a key signifier. Um, But, you know, oftentimes part of the challenge is that leaders don't really realize that the way in which we bring change to people actually affects the experience much more than just what we share.
0: Yeah. So... um... So I, I think there's some really useful thoughts there in terms of sometimes think about the culture as if it's a compliance cut. Are they actually, it's all very well wanting people to engage, but if they don't really, you know, being realistic about the level of engagement you might do. Um, also thinking about levels of energy and when it's needed to be push or pull because you can't do everything through pull um, or personalize. It's not practical. Sometimes actually one size fits all and get on and focus your energy where to go. Um, back on the thing then about if I'm, are there giveaways where someone, a leader thinks that they are pulling, but actually they're not really, I don't know whether it's about trust, people think, you know, they might ask a question, but no one responds. Is that about engagement or the fact that they don't think there's any point or is that a cultural thing? Is there anything that you'd point to there that people could, could do? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think if, if people are asking questions and they're not getting responses, There's various reasons for that. One, yes, it might be trust and safety to people that don't feel comfortable to respond. That's certainly an indication. When I'm being asked to watch a gathering or coach people, I'm looking for three specific things. And I think this this hopefully will help your listeners. I'm looking for framing. So I'm looking how we use our language to get buy-in. So for example, if I'm asking for questions and I say any questions and I sort of just leave it there directly, that's a lot uh, different framing than saying... Uh, Last week, we heard some wonderful questions about X and Y. You know, what questions do we have? I'd love to hear from five different people. That's a much different way to engage people actually signal that you want their questions. So I'm looking for framing. I'm also looking for space so not the physical space in the gathering but actually how we help people absorb or retain information so if i'm a leader and i'm just going through my slide deck as fast as possible stuffing it with information not giving people time to absorb it or retain it or debrief that's probably a signal that they're not going to remember it or retain it because it's just so full cognitively that we can't absorb it and then finally i'm looking for structure how we set expectations how we get people from A to B, and I find, as an example, very few gatherings have to start by clarifying what we're going to walk away with. So there there are signals to me of when it's very push, but underneath all of this, Lucinda, I believe reveals our mindset about change and our mindset about our employees. So for example, If I believe as a leader that my job is to give people the answer, that they need me, that I'm the hero, I will approach change very differently. My default probably will be push and one size fits all. However, if I believe that my employees are smart and capable and whole and they don't need me and they can figure out the answer and they are capable, I will approach change very differently, often pull and and personalize. And that affects as well how I how I gather people and how I lead change. So underneath all of this, I believe reveals our mindset, which may hold us back from the behaviors that actually lead to engagement.
0: So something about our sort of our intent and our sort of commitment and whether we're faking it or whether we truly want to get the message over with that sincerity or authenticity exactly. to come through. Um, exactly. And I thought also the point about thinking about whether what people are going to walk away with, I think that's quite um a good point too that also sort of give me the end of mind type adage isn't it but quite often do we have meetings but don't necessarily think exactly what we want to it goes back to what is the change what is the actual output exactly of us spending that time together
1: and from my screenwriting background you know you wouldn't start writing a movie unless you knew how it was going to end so what do you want the character to know or do or feel by the end of this and then what do we have to write or create in order for that to happen you know that's the scripting uh, is that what happens genuinely it's,
0: it's funny just a, a random aside um my my daughter started re-watching lost and I don't know if anyone's ever <laughs> watched. I remember the first series of lost they thought it was brilliant but I'm quite I do feel like they didn't really know what was going to happen at the end because it completely loses <laughs> it in the middle I don't know if that's a Hollywood fact or not but do, do you, is that what happens when you're script writing you do genuinely know kind of I mean because there must be a bit about you don't know how many seasons it's going to go for and stuff like that but yes correct
1: when I was a comedy writer you know in the writer's room You would break what's called break the whole season. So you would know where you want the characters to get to the end. And then you would design the whole season with that arc in mind. So, yes, I think you need to have some semblance of where you want it to end up. But the details are what you figure out along the way. Season, but season by season mainly yeah because so much of this work is about motivation so whether it's a character or an employee and so if you know what people care about what they want what they need then you write it or script it with that in mind so yeah you know, that's some, some of the connection there um in terms of really understanding people is key so one thing then seeing with your
0: background and the the um your <clears throat> script writing and the fact you talked about your four types of um sort of reasons to engage, comply, inform, entertain, entertain and engage, sorry, entertain, does what part does that have to play in the business world? Do you see it has any part or if so, how could we do more of it?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that oftentimes people confuse entertainment and engagement. So, you know, we'll have a DJ at our town hall where we'll have a guest speaker that's super exciting and a big name. And those are useful for sure and definitely play an important part. However, they may not help the gathering stick or lead to any sort of meaningful change in the employee. And oftentimes we wonder why. The key difference between entertainment and engagement is emotional involvement. So if I don't feel anything or I don't feel connected to the content, uh, it's, it's going to have a short shelf life. So oftentimes what I help people do is really up that personalization which is another word for emotional involvement to get people to feel more connected. And, and let me just say, the thesis of all of this work of all of my work is that we don't change because of content. We change because of our connection to the content. And so I'm, my role is to help people connect more to this and to each other so that the change that we want really sticks.
0: So I, I guess then what I would take from that is that um, entertainment isn't necessary from a business point of view it is unless it kind of steps through to engagement it almost feels like you entertain you want to take it deeper than entertainment make it less superficial you need to be engaging too but I suppose that's the case for all of those in in many ways same with compliance that doesn't last that's not long-term change telling people something for me is not long-term change really engages the only one that is going to get a long-term benefit I would right that's right yeah Okay, so that's um so, that's helped. so I'm always thinking about what the purpose is of it, what you want people to actually walk away with, think about how you can engage where it's appropriate, because obviously, again, that goes back to, I guess, engaging means you are pulling, you are getting people to talk back to you, um, it might be a bit more personalised, uh, so where, so you've got to be um, realistic about how frequently you can do it. What, what else? I mean, we, we, talked, we touched on the fact that also the pandemic may have made us feel differently about gatherings for a variety of reasons. Um, would you say we should respond any different as
1: we're communicating now with people in the gathering? Sure. Yeah. So uh, um, I'll, I'd love to answer this and then also maybe be helpful to give your listeners some concrete tips on how to pull and how to personalise. Brilliant. Yes. So in terms of the gathering in um, the pandemic, you know, all of us can relate to Zoom fatigue for sure, and I think it was really easy to blame Zoom to blame Zoom as the problem for that. Um, however, behind every tool is a person choosing how to use it. So in some ways, I think um, it's not really fair to blame the technology, and we can we can learn these skills a bit better. The motto I tend to follow is you want to pull people together and push them apart. So if you're wondering, should I have a gathering? Is it worth my time? You know, we're all tired of Zoom, et cetera. If what I want is uh, engagement or to entertain, so pull, then it's worth bringing people together. So pull together. If I'm simply pushing information on people to inform or to comply, I can do that asynchronously. I can do that via email. I can do that via webcast. And that may not be worth the effort of bringing people together, because like we talked about, I think there's a much higher bar for gathering than there used to be. So that's something that that people can think about. In terms of specific moves that people could make or specific tactics that people can try to pull and personalize, I'll offer a couple here. And these are the same, whether it's virtual or in person. So I like to say that my work is channel agnostic or content agnostic. It works similarly across virtual in-person or hybrid. So pull, the biggest difference between pull and push is how active or passive are the employees. So one way to make people more active is to give people a role from the beginning. So for example, you may put something on the screen before people start that says, hey, as we go along today, think about your answer to this question or think about what you know about this topic already, or you know, up their status and ask for feedback as you go. So show people something unfinished, tell them that you want their thinking because that makes people feel seen and that they're important and relevant to the gathering. So in terms of personalized, one way to really help people feel connected with the material, help it feel that it's made about them, is to give them time to digest it. So you can take a break at a content-heavy section, put a question on the screen, ask people to write down or think through their answers to one or two questions, or to talk with a neighbor or talk with a friend. Um, you can also have the group create something together, like a shared artifact. Even if it's a word cloud or <laughs> something that, that actually engages them and, and has them feel like they're a part of the gathering that you need them, is really useful as well. Um, so those are a couple things that we can do. But ultimately, the information should be relevant to them and important to them and even if someone does a talk or a gathering a hundred times, you can make a, a couple of choices that help people connect to the material more.
0: Okay, that's really helpful there in terms of you know that that's get how how practical ways in which you can get people to get involved and, and whether it's critiquing it, or it's, so thinking about if it's relevant in the first place, but then thinking, taking it to the next level, which I was just think is quite different from it's more like my background's training. It's a bit more like training in some ways, working yeah. on how to get people interacting rather than just downloading data at people to people, isn't it? Exactly.
1: And sorry, my background is learning and development as well. That's where I spend most of my time. So it do bring an adult learning um, bent to this. And the whole intent is to bring the information closer to people so it's relevant and applicable and personal um, versus just this sort of one-way information dump, which we know uh, doesn't tend to tend to work and doesn't tend to stick. So
0: I guess just, yeah, I know we've kind of gone back on this point. I'm wondering whether, so when we might be trying to engage people, but we're not having success with people, or for whatever reason, they don't appear to want to, and I think it does depend on culture and otherwise. Any other tips as to how how you can sort of really genuinely pull people to open up, or things that, or HR, that again, let's think, HR might be, we might not be delivering the message, but we might be coaching others to deliver the message, um, trying to make sure that it's not just the download. Any other sort of broader tips for this audience that um, you'd suggest?
1: Sure, so um, if it's helpful, you know, one one thing I, I say a lot is I don't coach the content, I coach the conditions because effective change management is all about the conditions that we're creating to help someone feel or be moved or be changed, et cetera. So oftentimes, when we're having that gap, as you described, it's because the conditions are not right for change. So one thing I suggest people do all the time is to clarify what's at stake for people. So we may know as leaders what's at stake for us and then change, but do we know what's at stake for our employees, what they actually care about? That's a huge gap. So from my screenwriting background, if we don't know what's at stake for our characters, We're not gonna connect with them. We're not gonna follow their journey. We're not invested or interested. So clarifying what's at stake is super important. So, you know, for example, um, when we're rolling out a new performance management system, what's at stake for employees? It's not about the system or the tool, it's about what it means for them. And oftentimes what that means is transparency in terms of what they're being reviewed on and what success looks like. So that's what's at stake for them. They want to succeed. So we need to just name that. And then I would say, you know, a a couple other things. Oftentimes when we roll out these gatherings, we tend to forget that our employees are adults. (laughs) Um, And so we can, I think, do better to up their sense of agency and choice. Um, And so give them choice, have them select between one or two options, find a way to sort of give them ownership of the gathering and sort of choose where they want to go Um, and, and help, people have a sense of skin in the game too. So how can you give them ownership um, as, as you go?
0: Yeah, I, think that's that, I mean, that's what we need more and more, don't we, in terms of this as well. The whole sort of, with a hybrid workplace, you need people to take ownership to be able to drive things forward um, and, and to be part of the, part of the journey and even co-creating it with you. Um, so I suppose you can, and engaging them maybe to deliver some of the message or help reword some of the message. So, so, I think um, that I think that's quite quite a useful set of think a little bit of thinking for us there. So, thinking that everything potentially is a change. Thinking of do we know what it is the type of message that we we are delivering? Um, we talked about um, pushing and pulling, personalising versus one size fits all. We've talked about um, framing it, thinking about being clear about what people will walk away with or want to walk away with. Um, And also this whole sort of thing here, we were talking about making sure that it's really relevant to the audience. And that in itself, I think, is quite key because um, it's quite easy to have a generic message. So maybe potentially, if, if you're having a gathering, do you have gatherings of different groups or different stakeholders that want to engage with the messaging in different ways or could contribute in different ways. Maybe even thinking about the order in which you're rolling something out. So I'm thinking at the moment, I'm working with a business and we're rolling something out, which it is management training, but actually we're starting with the most senior group because they can help form some of the messages. So we ask them about these certain things and therefore we can take some of their message and then tweak that and um, you know take that forwards with the middle management group. So you're also helping them take it down there.
1: Yeah, they feel like they are owners of it as well and helping you contribute. So that's a perfect example. Yeah, And it's really relevant as well to them then because it's
0: absolutely relevant to their culture as opposed to being a generic message. So um, I, I'm hoping that, I think there's some key points there that people can take away. i have just done to check in terms of your, your, I suppose, top tips for an HR professional of the ones that you've shared with us already, which would you say are the most important or is there something that else that you'd share which would be a top tip to take away for people? What's your view?
1: Yeah, um, I would say just, there's a lot of structure here that was shared. And oftentimes that helps us have a common language to describe why the change we want is sticking or why it isn't. I think oftentimes we don't know what language to use, like a, going to a car mechanic. We don't know how to describe that The car is broken. But if we give people the same language then your employees can say something like, I needed more pull, I needed more personalization, et cetera. And then we can really have a more adept and and mature understanding of change that everyone shares together. So that's why I try to bring the structure to organizations. My, My top tip really is that we tend to think about what change we want, what new values we want, what we want in our manager training, but we don't tend to think about how we're going to get people interested or motivated or engaged around it. And that is where people really need to spend their focus and their time. So, so that's why, that's why I help people do this work. And I think that is a blind spot that I would encourage people to, to examine.
0: Yeah, that's good because, um, you're, you're absolutely right we often thinking about what's the message we want to discuss we need to discuss so we need to think about okay how is it going to go over and some of that is about also the why which you started with which is what what is the ultimate message we want people to take away from it isn't it so it is why what how rather than just focusing on the what um so how is it how are we going to get it people engaged um position it in a way that's really going to be relevant as opposed to just telling people um it's interesting i saw um, a snippet on link Oh, some sort of it might have been twitter actually someone talking about if you're doing learning objectives or deliverables um it's not just making thinking them about those being engaging as opposed to just like people know or understand which is quite a passive language so how can we get things to be active and thinking you know, actively what people will take away from that gathering or message um you know if they, they are going to potentially get on the train for the first time in months it's got to feel like it's something that's got value and purpose and making sure that the gatherings are different types of gathering and the formats that we use they all have um different levels of value and what's appropriate to that message that we want to get over so that's why face-to-face I think is is more helpful generally for like you say whether it's asynchronous or um or otherwise you know certain things where you can have that to and throw chatting or conversing is is different whereas zoom can be or any other Teams, whatever it is, can be an incredibly effective way of communicating, but you get slightly different pros and cons from it. So it's choosing the best one.
1: And in terms of the objectives, and this is another great example that you're giving, you share learning objectives and then say, hey, Do you see anything here that's missing? Is there anything that we haven't discussed that you would like me to add? And that immediately gives people a sense of involvement, gives them choice, ownership, et cetera. So again, it's not changing the content considerably or redoing it every single time you have a gathering. That's not what I'm suggesting. It's just these small choices that help people feel seen and recognized and heard and therefore connected. Yeah, that's a good one. Again,
0: I do do that on a webinar. I say, what do people, what, what what's interested somebody about that webinar title? You know, what is it they hope to get out of it? Um, and therefore you can just adjust, you can just subtly adjust what you're covering or the angle which you're covering it and make it so much more relevant for people.
1: Especially if people have signed up on purpose, they have a reason to attend. So yes. unearth that, figure out what it is because they want to yes. tell you.
0: Yeah, yeah, Great. Lindsay, thank you so much. It's been great um, speaking with you at this moment. So thank you so much for joining. If people want to get hold of you or um, link in with you, how would they find you?
1: Sure. Um, My website is gatheringeffect.com. You can also find me at lindsaycaplin.com and I would love to connect. And, And thank you so much, Lucinda. This has been wonderful. Brilliant.
0: Thank you for joining, Lindsay. I really hope you found this week's episode useful and enjoyable. If you did, perhaps you could recommend us to a friend or colleague or give us a review on your platform of choice. It really helps new listeners to find us. Now you can access links to any of the information mentioned in this show via the website www.hruprising.com. Further free resources are also available at www.actus.co.uk. There you can also find out more about our software and training solutions. Finally, why not join our LinkedIn group, The HR Uprising, to share ideas and collaborate with other like-minded people professionals. Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising podcast.